test. There we go. All right, guys, uh, we are going to continue to march on through the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 17 today. So if you have a copy of God's word, you can pull, begin to pull that up today. As we look at two, two primary um, principles that I want to communicate to you today in this passage, um, which you could probably spend months on in and of itself, but I'm, I'm going to try to try to give you the highlights, give you the heart of, of this chapter. And that is that there's a son of promise, and then there's, there's the circumcision of the heart. Okay, so you have, you, have this son of, you have this sign of circumcision, which, as you'll see today, is something that, from God's perspective, is something that we necess- not, may not necessarily be able to see with our eyes, but it, it does become a matter of the heart. And we'll see why that's so important today. I really want to preach to your hearts today. Um, but then there's also this, this beautiful picture here with the, with the promise of the birth of Isaac, the son of Abraham, that is, again, at the heart of the gospel itself. As we see Isaac, um, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we see Isaac, we see Christ in Isaac. And, and you'll see how all that comes together here in just a minute. But I just want to stop before we get, get started. Um, you know, you never know how the, what's going to happen on a typical Sunday morning, um, and I just need to kind of stop and pray. First of all, I want to pray for uh, my brother Bryant and his son Brendan, Bryant and Brendan uh, Barker. For many, most of you know, Bryant, Bryant was supposed to be playing bass this morning. That's why I had to hop on the bass. But his, his son Brendan, and y'all know, y'all probably know Brendan. He usually helps us in the back. Uh, he was actually working this morning on the slides. But Brendan had another seizure this morning. And, uh, and it was a very difficult situation, and so we, uh, we were outside, and Malcolm, I just want to thank you for, for your help, um, but we were outside in the parking lot with him for about 20 minutes today trying to get him to calm down after his, his seizure, and they, eventually we did have to call the ambulance. So I just want to, you know, he's been battling this, these seizures now for a while, and, um, and so I just want to want us together collectively as a church family um, to pray specifically for Brendan. Pray for his health. Pray for whatever's whatever's going on with him with these seizures, because um, it is it is not good, um, and it, it's hard to watch. And I know I know Bryant is uh, as a father just doesn't know what to do. And uh, you know we're calling out on Jesus and and asking the Lord to, to help us through this. Um, we know He's able. I mean I, I can't read my scriptures without seeing Jesus healing people and delivering them from these very things. Um, so we know he's able, um, so we'll just pray that he be willing to do that. Uh, Brendan's about 25 years old, so um, very much a young man with his future ahead of him. So we, we want to lift them up uh, in prayer. And again, you know how the enemy works too. He tries to use these things to throw us off and to get us distracted and, and to kind of create um, turmoil. And so can we back that down just a little bit, Sam? I don't know if you're getting some feedback. Thank you. I don't know what's happening. But... Um, I do know what's happening, actually. Uh, the enemy, he just, uh, he's always trying to distract us. Um, so we're going to pray against that. We'll pray against the enemy. We're going to pray for Brendan. So y'all, y'all just partner with me, and, and uh, let's pause for a minute and pray. So, Father, we, we want to stop today. Um, everything that we're doing and acknowledge our need for you. Um, as we sang even earlier, your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient. Your, your power is made perfect in weakness. And Lord, right now, my, my dear friend and my brother, um, Brendan, and his, his father, Bryant, they are in their moment of weakness. They have no, no one else to turn to, which is good because I know they're looking to you, Lord, and we're praying for your grace to be sufficient for them, to get them through this difficult time, Lord. In the meantime, uh, if 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 it is not your will at this moment to heal him and deliver him from these seizures, uh, we pray that you would use this to draw this family closer to you and give them encouragement and peace and let them feel your presence and learn how to truly depend on, upon you and rest in you. Uh, Lord, I know it's so hard when you just want it to be fixed. You want it to, to be over. You want to be past the, the trial. You want to be through the storm. But, Lord, you're there with us in the midst of it all, and that, that is where we find comfort and hope. And so I do pray um, 
for him. I pray for deliverance, Lord Jesus, in faith, believing that you are able and that nothing is impossible with you, Lord. And it would be for your glory, Lord, so that we would see you work and we would see you heal and we would see you deliver, um, Lord. And it would be a reminder that you are the same God um, and you've never changed and that you still are in the um, in the business of changing lives and transforming hearts and healing us in every way, Lord, in every way, whether it be mentally, psychologically, physically, Lord, um, spiritually, Father, we know that you are the healer and the comforter. And I just pray, Lord, that you rebuke any spirit, any distraction, any uh, attempt by the evil one, Lord, to, to distract us from what we're doing here today, which is lifting up the name of Jesus and worshiping the, the one true living God and celebrating the life we have in Christ and growing in our faith and, and, and pronouncing victory over the enemy and over the grave and, and all of these things, Lord, that we, we gather weekly to do. We just ask you to please just uh, fill us, fill this place, Lord. Move in this place. That's my hope and my prayer today, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for that. All right. So we're going to jump into Genesis 17, and we've been studying the, the life of Abram. Just last week's message was so relevant. Um, we, we looked at the story between Abram and Sarah and Hagar and, you know, they, they pretty much made a mess of, of their life. Uh, there's just no other way around it. And yet God met Hagar right where she needed him the most and met her in her most desperate time of need. Um, and just that whole picture about the God who hears us and the God who sees us. Um, I, I think all of us probably needed to be reminded of that uh, today or last week. Um, and so we're, we're moving forward now in the, in the, in the whole narrative of uh, the life uh, of Abram, and Genesis 17 is one of those chapters that is what would, would be considered a very pivotal chapter in the story. You're going to see a little bit of a, um, a contrast between Isaac, the promised son, and Ishmael. Again, we were introduced to Ishmael a little bit last week. He was the, the son of Hagar. Um, so this is Abraham's firstborn son, um, but he was not the son of promise, and we're going to see why that matters um, here in just a little bit. Uh, and then we're going to talk a lot about circumcision today. And I know that's like one of those topics that, I don't know, people may, may or may not like to talk about or want to talk about. But the Bible talks about it all the time. And, and we need to kind of, we need to have an opportunity to, to grasp it and understand what is the sign of circumcision and how, how does it apply and does it matter and, and what, what's God really trying to get to in this whole thing uh, called circumcision. Because not only is it very significant in the Hebrew text from the, the um, prophets and in the Torah, but then the apostles and Jesus, and they, they speak of it quite a bit as well. So it's, it's, it's definitely an important topic, and if the Bible thinks that it's important, then I, I do too. So we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time about with in there as well, looking at the sign of circumcision, okay? So, so there's a lot going on in this passage. I'm do my best to, to deal with it. Um, in, uh, in a respectable way, in a timely manner. Uh, so y'all, y'all just dig in with me, and, and let's try to let's try to get the the heart of this passage together as we look at the Son of Promise um, and the circumcision of the heart. So Genesis 17. So let's just I'll do it this way. I'm going to read to you uh, the first eight verses, <clears throat> and we'll kind of we'll stop there and, and kind of uh, just take it from here. Okay, Genesis 17, uh, verse one. Then when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him. So, first of all, just real quick. So, about 13 years has transpired since this whole episode with Hagar and Sarai and her, you know, ban banishment. And, and now she's come back to the family. And, and Ishmael is growing up in the house. And they still, remember, it had been about 10 years when Sarah first started to doubt, and now here we have 30, so it's been about 23 years since God gave Abram the initial promise of a son. They still haven't had a son, okay? So just kind of keep that time frame in, in perspective. This is a, a significant amount of time. It says, when Abram was 99, the Lord appeared 
to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between you, excuse me, between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which is, that means exalted father, but your name will be called Abraham, which means father of many or a father of a multitude. Your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, the land of Canaan, all the land of Canaan, again, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So, I mean, God's emphasizing the covenant. He, he calls it an eternal, a, an everlasting covenant. He calls the land an everlasting possession. So these, these terms are, are meant to be intentional for us to understand the eternality, the, the uh, indefinite promise of God. There's no end to these promises. Okay, so let me, let me break this first part of, uh, down to you because I think this is something that we need to understand. Okay, and I'm going to do my best to, to, to break it down to you as simply as I can. It, it, there's a lot in here, um, but I think it may help bring some clarity to you and help bring some clarity in, to me. Just, just really about our relationship uh, between what we would call the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, so we're going to unpack that in just a minute because this entire first part of the section, the reason God changes his name, Abram's name, to Abraham, okay, it's because he says, I will make you the father of a multitude of what? Nations, plural, plural. Don't miss that, okay? So the first thing I want to share with you today is that God's everlasting covenant with Abraham promised to provide the inclusion of a multitude of believers from Gentile nations. Okay, from Gentile nations. Now, why is this, why is this important? Um, all right, I, I don't know how many of you guys are paying attention to the news or if you even pay attention. There's a lot of this talk going around right now, uh, like with Kanye West, Kyrie Irving. These are entertainers, athletes, and they're being accused of something. Does anybody know what they're being accused of? Anti-Semitism. What does that mean? That's this catch-all phrase that has come to be, be used to, to mean hatred or, or prejudice toward Jewish people. Okay, so that's a, that's a can of worms, right? You could just, you could open up that thing and just, you could kind of really start talking, who are the Jewish people? And what is this idea of anti-Semitism? And, and is, it, is it a legitimate problem in our culture and our society? And what are these guys really talking about? Why are, being, why are they being so, so ostracized by the mainstream right now because of their comments and remarks and all this stuff, right? So I'm not going to get into that. But what I want you to understand today is that what we see here in the promise to Abraham and eventually to his son Isaac and to Jacob, okay, what we call the, the patriarchs of our faith, is that all of them were promised by God that their descendants would be more numerous than the what? The stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. So, so that he's promising, and the irony here, obviously, is Abraham only has one son at this time, not even his son of promise, and yet God is telling him, I'm changing your name, you're going to be the father of a multitude of nations that nobody will be able to count. So today what we have is that we have what's called the Jewish people who have survived as a remnant, a remnant of the people who have dis descended physically, genetically, right? Their pedigree, their ethnicity comes from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the tribe of Judah, okay, because a Jew descends from the tribe of who? Judah, this is important, 
Because today we have the Jews, who is this remnant, a very small population of people, and they've all, historically have always been a small population of people. The Jews have always been a very fractional minority. Right now, there's about 20 million Jewish people alive on the planet. There's about 8 billion people. So that means the Jewish people only represent about a quarter of 1% of the whole world's what? Population. Is that a multitude? 20 million people in a world of 8 billion, is that a multitude? It's not. So what I'm trying to get at here is that the Jews could not possibly represent the sum total of this multitude of people that promised to come through who? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who was Israel and the children of Israel. These, these people who are here today and they are called the Jews and they have a place and, and God has used the Jews, thank God, for so many amazing things historically. The, the number one reason God preserved this remnant of the Jewish people, the number one reason is so that he would bring who into the world? Jesus Christ, who was Jewish. He was Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. Okay? He was of the tribe of what? Judah. Okay? But how many tribes are there in Israel? Twelve tribes. So I'm going to make a statement to you, and I want you to turn on your thinking caps for me, okay? All Jews are Israelites. Every single one of them. Not all Israelites are Jews. But what's happened over the centuries is that we, when we say Jew, we just mean what? Israel. And when we say Israel, we just mean what? Jew. We take these two terms and we do what? We squish them together, we conflate the terms, and we just think when you're talking about Israel, you're talking about who? Jews. Let me tell you something. Did you know that Abraham wasn't Jewish? Isaac wasn't Jewish. Jacob wasn't Jewish, Moses was not Jewish, Joshua was not Jewish, Elijah wasn't Jewish, Samuel wasn't Jewish. Do you know there were many heroes of our faith that were not what? They were not Jewish because they were not of the tribe of Judah, but they were Israelites. Now you say, what's all this about? Why is this important? But it's important because of this. God made a promise to Abraham that his descendants would be a multitude of nations. Well, we know the Jews can't possibly represent the sum total of this multitude of... So where are they coming from, guys? That's what we would call the modern-day what? Church. Because if you look at the modern... And I use that term lightly, but when you look at the modern-day church... Evangelical believers, even if you want to put the Roman Catholic people in there, whatever you want to do, if you look at the church, guess what? There's about 2.4 billion so-called what? Christians living on the face of the earth. Now we're starting to talk about a what? Multitude. And they're from every what? Every nation on the earth. Okay? Now, the reason this is so very important, and, and again, I, I'm taking a, some time intentionally to, to get these term straight in your head is that as believers in Jesus Christ the Bible tells us that as I was once a Gentile separated from God I was alienated from the covenants of promise I was without hope and without God in the world but by putting my faith in Jesus Christ the King of Israel the Savior of the world the Son of God by putting my faith in him now I have been grafted in to the commonwealth of Israel. I'm part of what? Israel. So are you. Does that make me Jewish? I'm not a Jew. Remember, to be a Jew, you have to be coming from the tribe of Judah. I'm not Jewish. But as a Gentile who believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and has embraced the Messiah of Israel, he now brings me into this bigger body called Israel because, remember, Israel is more of the representation of all the people of God from every what? Every nation. And so what we have here today, guys, is a picture, a promise that God gave Abraham almost 4,000 years ago telling him and Isaac and Jacob and descendants after him, he's saying, one day, 
My people will number, the, they'll be like the stars in the heaven and the dust of the earth, and it will be a multitude from every nation that will be my people, called by my name. You know what God I worship? I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I worship. He's the same God that he was back then. Okay? Now, again, I have to say because it's interesting that the Jewish people, again, were used mightily by God and they were preserved as a remnant. And eventually the key to the Jewish people is that the Savior himself had to be born in one of the 12 tribes. And God chose what tribe? Judah. The, the scepter will not depart from Judah, right? So Jesus was born of the house of Judah, of the house of David. But again, by faith in Jesus, now as a Gentile, I get to be brought into this new thing, this, this greater body, this bigger Israel, this greater Israel. And the key to that, guys, is that because of that, I get to participate now in all of God's covenant promises. The greatest of which is who? It's Jesus. He's the greatest promise. And that's what we're going to get to at the end. The son of promise is Jesus. He's the greatest promise. But we got all kind of other promises too. God's protection and blessing and his word and the covenants and the adoption and the glory and the oracles of God and all of these things that were preserved for us that we now are part of. And the land, remember? We've talked a lot about the land. A possession, an inheritance. So all the promises that God made, listen, when God made a covenant, even the covenant, in Jeremiah 31, God says, I will make a new covenant. He says, I will make the covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Who did he make the covenant, the new covenant with? The house of Israel and the house of Judah. So if we're Gentiles, how are we going to get in? How are we going to get into those houses? How are we going to become part of this bigger thing that God's doing? It's the same way anybody else gets in. By what? By faith. It's by faith. We're not born into it. We don't, have the, we don't have the religious pedigree. We don't have the ethnic genetic connection. That's okay. It's not about genetics. It's about what? You will be saved by God's grace through faith in Messiah. And as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says we become the offspring of who? Abraham. That's what Paul's talking about in Galatians 3. So he's all over this, right? And I think that we need to kind of begin thinking in these ways because it helped, to me it helps resolve a lot of unnecessary conflicts and confusion in the church. Because why is there anti-Semitism? Do y'all know historically in the church, in the quote-unquote church, it's filled and riddled with anti-what? Anti-Semitism. Persecution of the Jewish people. They're the, they're the Christ killers. They're the ones that are trying to you know, uh, teach us that you got to be saved by works. And they're, they're the, you know, I mean, there's all this negativity that has spewed out of the church historically. So today, what do you see? You see a, a, a dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentile believers. We're, we're, not, we're not jiving right now. We don't really see eye to eye. There's a lot of friction. There's a lot of hostility. There's some jealousy involved. We're not in, on good terms. If you, if, and, and that goes on, it's on, what, it's on both sides. There's been, there's been offenses done on both sides. But I want you guys to see that God has always had, this is the key, he has always had one people, just one. He didn't have a bride in the Old Testament called Israel, and then he said, man, I'm tired of these old people. I'm going to go get me a new updated version called the church. I'm going to get me a new bride, a better bride. That's not what it's about. It's that we get to be part of what that original covenant was all about. We get to be part of that. It's not, he didn't do anything new. He just took us who were way outside, and he said, come on in. I'll bring you in because I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that one day their descendants would be more numerous than the stars of the sky so that there will be millions upon millions of Gentile believers who are brought into this greater work called Israel, and that is the promise fulfilled, and we're seeing it happen, guys. We're seeing it happen before our very eyes. It's amazing when you really begin to unpack these things. So that, that's just the first seven verses. And so I want you guys to kind of get a handle of that because it's so very important, I believe, for us to understand what we're talking about here when we're talking about these covenant promises. All right, so let's go to number two. I, I want to talk to you just briefly about circumcision. Now, I'm going to assume... 
everybody in here knows what circumcision is. Or if you need to, you know, any of the young people in the room, maybe you need to, moms and dads, this is your teaching moments, right? You get an opportunity to explain to your children what circumcision is. It's not nothing to be, you know, the Bible talks about it. We need to be able to talk about it. But there's something big going on here, okay? So here's the thing i got to share with you about circumcision. Because if you continue to read, the Lord then goes and tells Abraham, Abraham that there's going to be a sign between us for this covenant. And he tells Abraham to circumcise himself and all the males in his household. And from that day forward, every male child that's born into your household, God commanded them to circumcise the the male children on the eighth day. Okay? And so that's what's happening here in this passage. Now, the thing I want to share with you is this. Circumcision has never been a condition for salvation. This This is critical. But it is just an outward sign for the set-apart household of God or people of God. Okay? Now, what's interesting in our, in our culture we, here in the West is that circumcision is a common practice in our culture. Okay? And I wonder sometimes why that is. Have you ever stopped to even wonder why? Because some cultures don't circumcise. Circumcision was something that that other ancient cultures did. It wasn't just the Hebrews that circumcised their children. There were other ancient cultures that did it as well. But here we are in 2022, and circumcision is a common practice in America. Do you know that there are health benefits and practical reasons for circumcision? Supposedly, it um, improves hygiene. it, It reduces infection and certain forms of cancer. There's been a lot of studies done about that. So there are some medical purposes to consider circumcision so most people that that choose to circumcise their children do it for whatever reason um but i'm looking at this and god says this is something that i set up something that i chose to do as a sign it's just an outward sign okay and and so it it is this covenant that god's making with his people and i'm just going to get honest with you i'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time here but I want y'all to put yourself in, a, in the shoes of a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the children of Israel. They were a set-apart nation. And there's a consistent commandment that the Lord gives the children of Israel. He says, when you get into the land and you settle the land, he says, you are not to intermarry with who? With the surrounding nations. You're not supposed to get married to them and intermix with them. And there were other reasons, there, there were maybe several different reasons we could discuss, but the primary reason God said don't do this, he says, because their children, your wives, if you take their daughters as wives or you marry their sons, they will lead you what? They're going to lead you astray. They're going to lead you to worship other gods. So just from a practical perspective, if you think about it, if you're an Israelite female and you're betrothed to be married to your husband, the first thing that you need to make sure of, I hate to get vivid, but you need to make sure that your husband is what? He's circumcised because that is a sign that you're in the family. If your husband's not circumcised, you're not supposed to what? Marry that person. And so God's being very practical with the children of Israel here, okay? There's a lot of practicality here. And so... That's why you see the the uncircumcision as a general term for all the nations outside of God's covenant because they were worshiping other what? Worshiping other gods. Don't go outside the house. Stay within the family. This is an outward sign of your covenant. But the thing that you need to understand is that it is not a condition for salvation. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans. It says, was the blessing to Abraham only on the un, only on the circumcised, or was it not on the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, I'm reading Romans 4.10. In what context was it credited? Was it after his circumcision or before? And let's remember, when Abraham believed God in Genesis 15, was that before his circumcision or after? It was before. So he was credited and considered righteous before God years before he was ever what? Circumcised. So Paul's making a point here saying, listen, salvation is by grace through faith. It is not has nothing to do as a condition for, for salvation to the circumcision of your 
flesh. And so he goes on to say, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but are not circumcised. And in order that righteousness might be credited to them, he is also the father of the circumcised. And he goes on to talk about that. Okay, and so this is this is so very, very critical. And I'm just going to I'm going I'm to draw a correlation with you today that I think may help. Okay, it's the same thing in in many ways as we deal with what, what's called the, the rite of baptism. Let me explain that to you. There are some denominations and some Christian persuasions that teach that in order for you to be saved, what do you have to do? You've got to be baptized first. And not just baptized, but most of the time you got to be baptized by them in their church. And if you're not baptized under authority in their church, then you're not what? You're not saved. That's called, it's called baptismal regeneration. Some of you may have grown up in some churches that taught something like that. The Church of Christ, uh, many of the Church of Christ denominations teach this. Hey, guys, that is a heresy. Okay. It's the same thing as saying you would have to be circumcised before you can be what? Saved. That's what the whole Jerusalem council, the debate in Acts chapter 15, that's what it was about. There were some Jews who were teaching that you can't be saved. Wait a minute, you're a Gentile. You can't be part of our group until you're first what? Circumcised, and you got to do everything we ask you to do, and then we might, we might consider you for salvation later. You see what they were doing? It's very, very simple. It's the cart before the horse. That's all it is, guys. It's not a condition for salvation, and that's what Paul and Peter, they argued against that very, very clearly, but it's the same thing as baptism. But let me ask you a question. Once you do put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you should probably consider getting what? Baptized. Is it, are you going to go to hell if you don't? Of course not. But it's something you do as an outward what? An outward expression, an outward sign. Everybody look, see, I'm, I'm witnessing, I'm testifying that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's all that circumcision was. It was just an outward expression that was supposed to reflect what was going on where? In the heart. And we'll get to the circumcision of the heart here in just a second. So that, that kind of helps me, and I hope that that helps you, because the, the scriptures are so, so very clear that circumcision is not a condition for salvation. Now, I want to say this. That doesn't mean that circumcision is wrong. doesn't mean it's wrong. As a matter of fact, I would, I would go as far as saying that as believers who are now participating in the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we should probably consider what? Circumcision. For salvation? No, no not for salvation. But just like a believer should be baptized, we're already circumcising our children anyway. For what reason? Why do we do it? Medical reasons? We might as well do it for the what? Right reasons. And because it's God, God said. Something you probably should consider doing. Now, so, now, I say that because a lot of people may push back on that. Because if you're not careful, they will interpret that as me saying that you have to be circumcised to be what? Y'all are clear. I didn't say that, right? Salvation through faith, but it's just like baptism. I'm not saying you have to be baptized, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably should want to be baptized, okay? Cart before the horse. Very, very simple. No big deal. But here's the deeper issue. Here, no matter what, whether you agree or disagree with that, it doesn't matter. Here's the deeper issue. It's always been about the circumcision of your what? Your heart. The, first, the third thing I want to share with you today is it circumcision of the flesh, it means absolutely nothing without the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the circumcision of your heart. It doesn't mean anything unless you have a true heart change. And that was one of the reasons when Jesus came and Paul and Peter were having these debates with their fellow countrymen, the Jewish people, okay, they had problems because the Jewish people had gotten to a point where they believed just because I'm born into this family, I'm born into this tribe called Judah, and I've been circumcised and I've been raised up in this 
in this thing called Judah or as a Jew, they just assumed that that made them automatically right with who? With God. But is that what makes us right with God? No, it's not. Do we fall into that as Christians too? Oh, yeah. I, I talk to people all the time. Well, you know, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. Man, my grandma and grandpa were the most faithful Christians you ever met in your life. And they went to church every Sunday, you know. And yeah, I mean, I, man, I love, I love me some Jesus. Big guy upstairs, me and him, we're, we're A-OK. You talk to people like that sometimes. What are they putting their faith in? They're putting their faith in their parents or their grandparents. Because their parents or grandparents were good, good godly Christian people, then they just kind of automatically are just kind of getting in along on their coattails, Right? Some people do. They think, well, just because I come from a good, godly Christian family and I was raised up in the what? In the church, then that makes me automatically right with who? Is that the way it works? No, it's not. So the Jews were falling into that trap, but so do we. That's one reason why I, I struggle, like the, the Roman Catholic Church, they baptized their infants, they baptized them as infants, and they said, from that moment on, you're saved and you're going to heaven no matter what. That's Roman Catholic theology. Man, that to me gives people a lot of false assurance. You're telling me just because somebody sprinkled me as a baby and I didn't even know what was going on, that I'm going to heaven? Is that, is that the way we get to heaven? No, it's not. It still has to come through the individual decision of a person to put their personal faith and trust in who? In Jesus Christ. So we get caught up in these things too. But here's the thing I want to show you. This, this circumcision of the flesh, it doesn't mean anything unless you're born again. Unless you're born again. Let me read to you, and, and you may think, well, this is, a, this is a New Testament idea. No, it's not. Go back to Deuteronomy 30. If you have your Bibles, look at Deuteronomy 30 with me real quick. See, God has always been about the what? The condition of a man's heart. God has always been about the condition of your heart. He, he chastised and, and chided and, and disciplined his own people so many times because they thought they were good with God just because of their heritage or their pedigree or whatever it was, the family they were born into. And God was like, you're, you're, you honor me with your lips, but you're what? Your hearts are far from me. I don't even know you. Deuteronomy 30, listen to this, verse 1. When all these things come upon you, so, so Moses is, is giving the children of Israel kind of their last reminders before they go into take into the, the promised land. Listen to what he tells them. This is fascinating. When all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curses I've set before you, and you call them to mind, and all, now listen to what he says, in all the nations to which the Lord your God has banished you. Now at this time, remember, have they even gone into the Holy Land yet? Have they even occupied the land of Canaan? No. And, and the Lord's already prophesying and predicting there's going to be a time when the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel are going to be banished and scattered to the what? To the nations. And guys, that already happened. The northern kingdom, the ten tribes, in 722, they were invaded by the Assyrians and they were cast out into the what? Sprinkled in and mixed in with all the Gentile nations. Jesus called him the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he said, I'm coming to do what? Bring them back. And that's who we are. We are part of that. But look at what Moses is saying. The Lord's saying. He says, I will bring, I will call them to mind in the nations to which the Lord your God has banished you. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey his voice with all your heart and all your soul, according to everything I'm giving you today, then he will restore you from captivity. He will have compassion on you and gather you from all the nations to which the Lord your God has scattered you. There it is again. Verse 4, even if you have been banished to the farthest horizon, he will gather you and return you from there, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply more than your fathers. Now look at verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all of your heart and soul so that you may live. Guys, God has always been always been about a relationship, a love relationship about the condition of our what? Of our 
hearts. That's why Paul in Romans 2 says this. I'm going to read this as well. This is a, a parallel passage in a sense. He says, circumcision has value if you observe the law. Paul was not anti-circumcision. Jesus was not anti-circumcision. He said, it has value. There's a place for it, okay? There's a place for it. But don't let that be the condition that you're putting your hope in for your what? For your salvation. That's what he's saying. He says, but if you break the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. In other words, you may have the right uh, sign on the outside, but if you're you're messed up on the inside, you're, you're not my people. You're not acting like my my people. Look at what he says. If a man who is circumcised keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? The one, listen, the one who is physically uncircumcised yet keeps the law will will condemn you, even though you have the written code in circumcision, who you are a lawbreaker. Verse 28, a man is not a Jew because he is one outwardly, nor is circumcision only outward and physical, Now, he said it's not only outward and physical, so there is a place for it. But he said no man is a Jew because he's, no, he's a Jew because he's one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the what? Heart by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. So, guys, this is what Paul, Peter, all of the apostles, this is what they were talking about, the condition of our hearts. Peter said this, God knows the heart. He showed his approval by giving the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts by faith. All right, so this is what I want to say. When you get baptized, and you go under the water, and you come back up, it's kind of like taking a what? A bath. Does getting in that water, even if you pull some soap in there and scrub down really good, Would that cleanse your heart? Of course not. It's just a bath. It's just water. There's nothing nothing special about the water. But we should still do baptism, and it's part of our uh, obedience to the Lord, and it's an outward expression. It's a beautiful picture. It's all those things, and it's a good thing to do. But we have to make sure that when you get baptized, you're not washing away your sin. Who's the only one that can do that? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is the one that cleanses us from the what? inside out circumcision is the very same thing outwardly circumcision means nothing but it's always about cutting away the the sinful nature that is in our heart so i just want to say this to you because this is where i want to preach to your heart today you see guys as followers and believers in jesus christ if we have been redeemed and washed and regenerated by the holy spirit he gives us a new what He gives us a new heart. Now, but there's still some pruning. There's still some cutting away of the flesh, as it were, of some of the sinful things that still kind of can be um, left in our heart. Or we're born again and we're saved and we're experiencing this new life in Jesus Christ, but then we turn and go back to some of the old things that we used to do and we get entangled in those things and now they begin to corrupt our what? Our heart. What, what is it today? Just, just think about it. What is it in your life right now that, has to, that needs to be cut away, cut out of your life? We all have something, don't we? It can be bitterness. It can be maybe you're harboring hatred and unforgiveness in your what? That's the, that's the easiest one to hide. I'm going to be honest with you. You can walk around and tell everybody in your life, I'm fine. But there's somebody that you're, you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment, and it becomes like choke, choking thorns that just will not let your heart breathe. Maybe, it's ra- maybe it is racism. Maybe it's some type of secret sin that you're not telling anybody about or you don't think anybody knows about. Maybe it's a sin of omission where you're not doing the things that God has commanded you to do. Did you know that that can grieve the Holy Spirit, that you can quench the Holy Spirit in your life? Not when you're just doing things you're not supposed to. That's sin. When you break God's commandment, that's a what? That's a sin. But then when you fail to do his commandment or you passively don't do something that he tells you to do, that is also what? 
That's also sin. So it goes both ways. And sometimes we just look at all the bad breaking of God's commandments. Well, at least I'm not a murderer and a liar and a cheater and, and all these terrible things. I'm not in prison or something. But then we forget about the other sin that so easily can get entangled into our heart. And it begins to choke our hearts and quench the Holy Spirit who's living in us. Grieving him. And so God gives us his commandments. He tells us to do what? To circumcise our what? Our hearts. Now Jesus said it another way. He said if your eye causes you to sin, do what? If your hand causes you to sin, do what? All right, let's think about that. Does Jesus want us to go around lopping our, our, our arms off? I don't think so. Does he want us to go around literally popping our eyeballs out? No. What is he saying? He's saying, guys, my children, my disciples, if there's anything in your life that is leading you, causing you to sin, if there's anything in your life, a relationship, an environment, an attitude, an addiction, whatever it may be, this is what Jesus is saying. You need to do whatever it takes to cut that what? Out of your life. Take extreme measures. It's like Kirk Cameron on the movie Fireproof. Anybody ever seen that movie? He's, he's struggling with an addiction to pornography. And one day he's had enough. He's like, I'm ready to circumcise my heart. I'm ready to cut this mess out of my life. What does he do? He goes into his office. He picks up his computer. He takes it outside and does what? Smashes it on the ground. That's what he needed to do at that moment to do what? To cut that sin out of his life. He took an extreme measure, and his neighbors thought he was what? Crazy. And it's probably one of the most liberating things he'd ever done in his life. What is it in your life that has got your heart entangled with sin? Guys, I want to I do something. I just want to stop right now before I'm going to finish. I have just one more thing I want to share with you today. But I want to finish with just, I want to stop and say a prayer over us. Because listen, I feel like, because I've done this so many times. I feel like we come in here week after week. And we just, and sometimes we just listen to the message. Good job, pastor. You preached a good one today. And we, we get inspired or maybe we're encouraged. And, there, and we should be all of those things. But sometimes I feel like we walk out of here and we're not changed and we don't really get what we're supposed to get from God. And we really don't connect with the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit because we're not willing to circumcise our hearts. And we're still holding on to these things and allowing them to continue to stay and remain in our life. And it's quenching the Spirit. It's hindering the, 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 the ability for the Holy Spirit to really move and work and bring joy and peace and all the good things in the life that the Spirit wants to do. Well, you know what it is. I don't have to know. God knows. You know. Let's pray about it right now. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we come to you right now, I just pray for a true sense of conviction. We know, Holy Spirit of God, that you are always at work and that you, you will lovingly show us the areas of our life that are not pleasing to you things that are grieving you, things that are quenching your, your, your power and presence in our life. Thank you, Father, that you're a merciful God and that we confess our sins. You are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, what, a, what an amazing promise that we don't have to hold on to this stuff anymore, Lord. We can truly cut it out. We can truly get rid of it. You are the one that can, can, can really change our hearts and, and cleanse our hearts, Lord. And we, we're begging you, Lord, Holy Spirit of God, to just please do that right now. Let us walk out of here free. Let us walk away from here, Lord, liberated from these things that we allow into our heart. Whatever that may be, God. Secret things, things that no one else knows about. Attitudes that we are, are, are harboring in our heart, Lord. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's lust. Maybe we're prideful. Father, you, you work with us. Spirit of God, we invite you to please just do to our hearts whatever it is that you want to do. And let us get that right before we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, the last thing I want to share with you is you've got this 
this promise of a multitude of nations, which God is doing that. See, the, see the Great Commission, the Great Commission itself is connected to the promise to Abraham because the Lord told his disciples after his death, burial, and resurrection, what was the Great Commission? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I want you to go back out into the nations to where all of the house of Israel was scattered and lost and mixed in and mingled with all the people. And I want you to go back out there, tell them about the good news of the kingdom of God, tell them what I've done for them so that all people can be brought back in. And that was, the, that was the commission of the disciples in the first century. And guess what? That is the same mission that we have what? Today. And it will not change until Jesus comes back. That's what the Great Commission is all about. It's about fulfilling the the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the last thing that you see in in Isaac is that Isaac is, guys, he is a shadow picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've you've heard me talk about this throughout the scriptures. God deals in patterns. He teaches us in prophetic patterns. Everything that you read in scripture is intentional. He, he gives us these things, these pictures and patterns and typology. And it's, they're beautiful pictures. And listen, it all points to one person from beginning to end. Who's the central theme, the hero of the story? Jesus Christ. And Isaac, look at the comparison, okay? And we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to Genesis chapter 22. When the Lord actually, I mean, when, when Abraham actually takes Isaac up on Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son. There's so much amazing stuff in that whole story. We'll we'll get to that later because you can go so deep into it. But let's just look at this on the surface level. Look at what it says. Look with me real quick. Genesis 16, I'm almost done. Verse 15, God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you will not call her Sarai, but Sarah, okay, shall be her name. And I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she will become nations, and kings of peoples shall come from her. And so this scene that you have is that uh, God now brings Sarah into the picture, says, no, listen, you are going to have a son. Even though Sarah was about 89 years old and and Abraham was about 99, he said, I'm going to do what I promised to do. About this time next year, you're going to have a son. Okay? And then he goes on to make a, a distinction. He says, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry on and fulfill my covenant promises, not through Ishmael, not through him, but through who? Through Isaac. Isaac is the son of promise. That's very, very important. Now let's look at the comparisons real quick about Isaac. He, he was, first of all, conceived. I believe he was conceived. The scriptures paint it pretty clear. He was conceived supernaturally. It says that Sarah was past the age of what? Childbearing. So biologically, guys, what that means is she couldn't have any children. She was too old. But God said, I've given you a promise. So something supernatural happened. I don't know how he worked all of that out. There was resurrection. The the picture of resurrection. But the thing is, is that there's a shadow picture in the promise of this barren old woman who's had no reason or no ability to have a child on her own, and yet all of a sudden she conceives and she gives birth to the son of promise. Oh, by the way, the son that that his father loved, a beloved son. Well, that that should immediately make us think about a young virgin living in the land. Her name was what? Mary. Supernatural conception. Isaac was the beloved son of his father. Jesus is called the beloved what? The beloved son of God. So you start putting, so he is the son of promise. He is the one through which God would redeem the whole world. And so we understand that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate son of promise that Isaac only temporarily and partially represents in his supernatural conception and his birth as the son of promise. I'll share one more uh, scripture with you. I I know we got to go, but listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4. He said, Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free. 
His son by the slave woman was not according, was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. What is he saying right here? He's saying if you're going to be part of the covenant, you're going to have to be born not of flesh, but born of the Holy Spirit. He is the promise. Jesus is the promise, and then he, what did he tell his disciples? Go wait in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, and I what? I promise that you will receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he is the Spirit of promise, guys. So that's how we now are in this relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we've been adopted, and we've been sealed as children of the promise. That's why it has to come by faith. Our relationship with God must, must, must work itself out through faith and nothing else, okay? And so again, I'll get into more of the comparisons that we have between Jesus and Isaac, but, but I want you to see that this whole thing is about Jesus. He's the one that fulfilled it. He's the one that gives us the uh, ability to come into God's people. He's the one that sent us back out into the world to make disciples of all nations, and he's the one that's coming back at the what? At the end to make it all come together, and we will inherit the land, and we will inherit the kingdom, and all of those things will be realized once and for all when he returns. He is the son of promise. Now, guys, God has made so many promises to you. When you're in here and you're living life and you start to doubt God, I'm going to give you one simple thing that you can do. You start to doubt God. God, why is this happening to me? Why are you not fixing this, Lord? Why, why are you letting this happen? When are you going to come through for me, Lord? Guess what you need to do? Go back and stand on his word. All of his promises. I mean, that's an exercise that I think every believer ought to do on their own. Just go through the scriptures or go find a promise book or go look it up on Google. I don't care if you do it. I don't care how you do it. But go back and look at just how many promises God has given us. And be reminded, this is the biggest thing, that he can be trusted. God can be trusted. Okay? When everything else around us is out of control and we don't know what's going to happen next, and we're afraid, and we're doubting God, and we're starting to get angry, and all of those things, we have to come back to the reality of the truth of God's word. He has given us his faithful promises. He will never leave or forsake us. He loves us with an everlasting love. He has forgiven us of all our sin. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Word of God. He's given us the hope of heaven. We are now his children. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. You could, there's hundreds of promises. Go back and start listening and reading and talking and, and, and uh, meditating on those promises. God, I promise you, I promise you that all that fear and anxiety and worry and, and all that will just what? It'll go away. It will go away. Okay? So I'm going to ask our praise team to come up and we're going to sing one more song today. And I just, I want to, uh, again, I know we had a time to pray. I know we had a time to kind of, to, to look at ourselves and, and, and investigate and examine our hearts today, guys, because there's nothing worse than for you to leave this place and, and still be harboring something. There's sin or there's something that's holding you back or quenching the spirit or grieving God in your heart. Whatever that may be, don't leave here. And you don't have to do it here. I know it's not necessarily in this place, but you know what? It's probably a good idea to, to, to do business and, and, and respond to God while you are in here. Because as soon as you step out those doors, guess what happens? Life. We're back on being distracted with everything else. When, when we're, less, we're less prone to deal with what's going on where? In our hearts. So this is the time to respond. So here's your application. You ready? I want you to plead with the Holy Spirit. To search the depths of your heart, of our hearts. Ask him to convict you of sin. Seriously. Because here's something, I, here's a promise. 
If you ask the Lord to convict you of sin, he will what? He'll convict you of sin. Okay? And then ask him to cleanse you and cut away. Cut out that, that, that junk, that, 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 that dirty, that filth, that sin, that whatever it is. Ask him, just get it out, Lord. Just cut it away. And then you're free. Then go out there and live and walk as if you're no longer bound by that because you're what? You're not. Don't beat yourself up about it. Don't, don't hang your head and say, man, I, I've got I've to be all down in the dumps for another two weeks because of what I did. No. Once you are free, you're what? You're free. Go live like it. Thank you, God. I'm forgiven. I'm set free. Now, don't go go doing it again. Don't turn back to those sins, right? To the best of God's ability to work in you and through you, don't just go back to doing the same things that you're doing. You still have a role to play in that, but you also don't need to feel shamed or guilty because you have been forgiven and set free. You've been cleansed. And that's what we're about to sing. We're going to sing, give us clean hands, okay? So I'm going to be up here at the front. And uh, we're going to let the band take this, and I want you guys to sing this with a spirit of repentance and a spirit of conviction, and just let God minister to your heart wherever you may be, okay? So bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I just come to you today so thankful that you've always been more concerned about the condition of our heart than anything that we look like on the outside, how educated we are, how much money we make, any of those things that we measure ourselves by, Lord, you always measure us by the heart. So whatever it is in us, Lord, that's holding us back, that maybe is grieving you or, or just hurting your heart, Lord, Lord, please just take it away from us today. Forgive us, cleanse us, cut all that stuff out, Lord. Let us be lifted. Let that burden be lifted. Let us be set free from those things. We know you're able, Lord. We pray you'd be willing. Meet us now in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand with me as we finish to, to worship?